1: i'm jason kander and i'm robbie gupta and this is majority 54 the podcast that helps americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority before we get to the news of the week i want to remind everybody that we have a live event coming up it is a free live recording of majority 54 the first time ever it's going to be june 24th so coming up really soon it's basically the one year anniversary of us rebooting this with Ravi as the co-host. Uh, so it's really exciting. It's going to be June 24th in Kansas City at Loose Park. June 24th is a Thursday night. Doors open at 7 p.m. We'll start recording at 7 30. For more information and to get a ticket, tickets are free by the way, but you need to get one. You go to wondermedianetwork.com slash majority54 event. I'm going to do that again because it's a mouthful. wondermedianetwork.com slash majority54 event. There's already Quite a few people showing up. It's going to be a really fun day. Make sure you're a part of it. With that, Ravi, what's going on this week?
0: Well, Jason, regular listeners uh, will know that there's a bill called the For the People Act, which has been making its way through Congress. And essentially, it's a series of measures to help protect our democracy, whether it's uh, voting rights, redistricting reform, campaign finance reform. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm sad to say that that bill does not look really good right now.
1: Yeah, Joe Biden is now facing a tough new challenge here at home. A fellow Democrat has dealt another blow to a key part of the Biden legislative agenda. Senator Joe Manchin announced he will vote against the For the People Act, essentially closing the door on Democrats' push for large-scale voting rights reform on Capitol Hill.
0: I think it's the wrong piece of legislation to bring our country together and unite our country, and I'm not supporting that because I think it would divide us further. And that's just it. If Manchin says no, then it's done. It's dead. Senator Manchin came out last week against the bill um, not only against the bill but also saying that he will not he will not weaken or sidestep the filibuster to support the bill um, writing in a local paper in West Virginia he said I believe the partisan voting legislation will destroy the already weakening binds of our democracy and for that reason I will vote against the for the people Act furthermore I'll not Vote to weaken or eliminate the filibuster, and then he went on to say the fundamental right to vote has itself become overtly politicized. Jason, does this mean that the bill is dead?
1: It felt that way when I first saw this, but I've been talking to people at Let America Vote and at in Citizens United, and I I don't believe that it's dead. A few things to know: there's overwhelming bipartisan support in West Virginia for this. Seventy nine percent of people polled are for this legislation in West Virginia. Uh, also the argument that partisan legislation on voting rights and on on civil rights is somehow to be avoided at all costs sort of forgets the fact that the 14th and 15th amendments were passed on partisan votes. And I doubt that Senator Manchin would say that that was uh, the wrong thing to do. Uh, When it comes to protecting voting rights and election reform, it's important to remember that Senator Manchin, who, yes, is now saying he'll vote against it, that he actually previously co-sponsored the For the People Act in the last Congress. So, you know, his position has moved around on this so much that I choose to continue to believe that he is persuadable because he has now been persuaded in multiple different directions to date Even though he's now talking about the bill itself, it is still the case that his concerns are about process. It's why he's talking about partisan votes. It's why he's talking about, and obviously the process should not stand in the way of protecting the freedom to vote. So we have to continue to push forward. Finally, when he comes to the realization, which at some point he will do, maybe not on this issue, but on another. But when he comes to the realization that Republicans in the Senate are not acting in good faith he's going to have to make a decision about whether he's more committed to an unattainable search for bipartisanship or to the millions of Americans who want this and other things to get done. And so our job, in the meantime, is to apply as much pressure to the Senate, to the Congress as a whole, including to Senator Manchin, to make sure that all of the proper political capital and political pressure is in place so that that can actually go the way we want when that, when that comes to fruition. It's important for people to remember that the ACA died like a thousand times before it actually got passed on a partisan vote. So this is not at all unprecedented and people just need to keep pressing forward. There's always a way. We're talking about the Senate. They literally make their own rules, which means those rules can change. And it's our job to apply the necessary pressure so that they, including Senator Manchin, feel the need and the opportunity to change those rules to get this done.
0: Yeah, it's also important to uh, let our listeners know that Manchin has still said he supports the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. So there are two different bills here. One bill is for the People Act is much more comprehensive, and it has robust changes to the way we redistrict, to to the dark money in our campaign finance system, way more aggressive measures to prevent a lot of the types of um, terrible legislation that's making its way through states to restrict Voting uh, in ways that are transparently racist. Uh, so that's the For the People Act. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act is a much more narrow bill that focuses on voting rights in the strictest sense and largely takes aim at restoring the Voting Rights Act. That is definitely progress, but it doesn't do a whole lot to stop uh, partisan gerrymandering. It doesn't do a whole lot to, or it does do anything to uh, get dark money out of our politics. Uh, and it doesn't do anything really to stop this onslaught of Republicans installing partisan officials to important voting positions, which is my number one concern, um, and to, to secretaries of state positions or whatever positions in the states uh, oversee our elections. It doesn't do anything to stop that. That is my number one concern because my nightmare scenario is that no matter how much we win by, they're going to be... Stooges in these offices who are gonna overturn the results of elections and mess around with the ballot box. I mean, they're 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 messing with the ballot box already from 2020. They're still auditing, quote unquote, those results. So I'm concerned that this John Lewis Voting Rights Act is not enough. But even that, he says he was he's he was talking about it like it's a bipartisan piece of legislation. From what I can tell, he has one Republican supporting it, Lisa Murkowski. Um, He would need nine more people to support this piece of legislation to satisfy uh, his requirement that it it passes in regular order.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important for people to understand a couple of things that, as you said, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act uh, would prevent a lot of future bad stuff, but doesn't go back and fix a lot of current bad stuff that's already happened. But that's still a good thing. And it is a kernel from which we can begin to work. So not to mention the fact, by the way, that uh, the whole first portion of the For the People Act was actually written by John Lewis as the Voter Empowerment Act. So there's a lot of room to work here with the political messaging to get People like Senator Mansion in the right place. But either way, if we want any of this stuff to actually happen, we have to continue to apply pressure. If you continue to apply pressure on passing the For the People Act, you're also only increasing the chances that you actually get the opportunity to pass the Voting Rights Act again. So either way, it makes sense to do that. And I will say all that and and also say Two more things. One is that there's a great speech uh, that Ralph Warnock made uh, on the Senate floor it was actually his maiden speech on the floor where I think his last line was most important.
0: I stand before you saying that this issue access to voting and preempting politicians efforts to restrict voting is so fundamental to our democracy that it is too important to be held hostage by a Senate rule, especially one historically used to restrict expansion of voting rights. It is a contradiction to say we must protect minority rights in the Senate while refusing to protect minority rights in the society. Mm -hmm. Colleagues, no Senate rule should overrule the integrity of our democracy. And we must find a way to pass voting rights,
1: whether we get rid of the filibuster or not. We cannot get so wrapped around the axle on the filibuster that we forget that these rules are just whatever the heck they are made out to be, that there are a million different ways to get this done. And we just have to keep applying pressure and force them to actually find one of those ways and make it work politically for everybody. And the last thing I'll say is we have to continue to apply the pressure on all this. And at the same time, in our everyday conversations with people, we have to make sure that we're continuing to brag about the things that have been done and to get other things done. So we we have to continue to celebrate all of the great work that's been done on COVID relief. And we have to continue to push for stimulus every day. And in the Senate, they need to confirm judges like crazy, because there are a lot of different ways to protect voting rights. One of those ways is to have more judges who actually care about voting rights. So there's a lot of things that still need to get done, and it can't all be about this. But we got to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time.
0: Well, that's not the only news of the week. ProPublica, which is an independent organization that, that does really amazing investigative reporting, got access to tax records on some of the richest people in this country. And they found that the 25 richest Americans paid very little... In income taxes between the years 2014 and 2018. Now, this might not be a bombshell for most of our listeners, but the details are really important here. And I think it's important to 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 look at this as a, a messaging opportunity for us as Democrats. And basically the details are that on average, that group of people paid 15.8% in federal income taxes. Now, listeners, you may that that's probably about less than half than what a lot of you are paying. And that's outrageous. And we as Democrats need to be pointing out how outrageous that is and connecting that populist argument to actual policy changes that we need. Now, uh, I think it's important to just stop and say, all right, what does Biden want to do here? Um, And so, Jason, can you walk us through like what you can tell right now, what the Biden administration is saying about this, either like this particular set of data or, you know, the wealthy not paying enough taxes in general and maybe what they should be saying?
1: Yeah, I mean, but the first thing they're saying, which I think is just the only responsible thing for any administration to say, which is that, you know, when private information about taxes are leaked, that's something that has to be taken seriously and, and it should be investigated. And then separately, they are talking about the fact that this demonstrates that there is enormous unfairness in the economic system. I tend to side with Elizabeth Warren, who feels like they're not going far enough by focusing just on, you know, increasing the corporate income tax, for instance, or increasing the income tax for the wealthiest, or, you know, it, it, all of those things are good, like, you know, increasing the capital gains tax, because that tends to be, you know, on income that is is not for, for everyday Americans. That said, look, I, I still believe a wealth tax makes a lot of sense. I mean, a friend of mine says about populism, which... America is in a populist era right now. And he always says, look, in, in, in a populist era, each party is going to make a choice. And, and it's going to come down to who they blame for the things that are going wrong in the country. And one, you have a choice. You can blame rich people or you can blame brown people. Now, we know who the Republican Party has chosen to blame. And we know that like we're not down with that. And when we think about it, our version of populism is, and I don't want to use the term blame because it's not about blame, but our version of populism is one that says rich people can be doing a lot more in this country. And yeah, I absolutely think that should be a central part of the message. And I think that the message needs to be along the lines of, look, when you have a wealth tax, for instance, what it recognizes is is this that America is not Europe. America is not a place where people just want to hurt rich people. That's not how it works. Like we actually have a slightly messed up infatuation with wealth. And we're like, like you can just be a celebrity in this country just by having a lot of money. So we're not a, a country that like hates Bezos for being rich. But we are a country that can be uh, persuaded by the idea that when people like Bezos are so rich that they can go to space on their own rocket and still barely pay anything in taxes, well, that means that all the rest of us have to pay a lot more than we necessarily should have to. And that is, a, that is an argument that can be made to people. And so I think we have to focus on the fact that a whole lot of burden could be taken off the rest of the country if there were a reasonable wealth tax on the wealthiest Americans. Yeah, to use your framework of who
0: do you blame, right? Do you blame brown people, poor people or rich people? You know, one thing that worries me a lot is that too often the Republicans have been successful at coddling the rich and supporting the rich, while also convincing voters that they're the ones who are taking on the rich. Like this is you know, why they salivated opportunities like Gavin Newsom hanging out in a fancy restaurant while everybody else is under COVID restrictions. This is this is the, a huge challenge for us as a party. They want us to be the party of Hollywood, you know, big tech, etc., Um, while they claim to be the party uh, of the regular person. While it's their policies that lead to situations like this, it's not Democrats fighting for lower income tax rates or Loopholes or lower capital gains rates, et cetera. So we need to somehow square this circle. You know, this is an opportunity, like you said. uh, And Biden hasn't gone far enough. Like there are certain things that are great, like going from 37 to 39.6% on the federal income tax rate. But Warren is going further, like you said. uh, She wants to tax 2% on wealth, $50 million or more. Now, for listeners sitting around the July 4th table, whatever nobody, you know, makes $50 million. And if they do, this will not affect their life in any way. Uh, So if people are whining about that, or the 37 to 39.6, or the double the capital gains, how many people, you know, make more than a million dollars a year in capital gains? How many people, you know, have more than $50 million? And would those people's lives change in any way if this was passed? And so I think this is where we got to go. And like you said, like, we've got to bring the heat on this kind of stuff, because you know, I agree. You have to, as administration, say, this was irresponsible. We're going to track down whoever leaked this data, et cetera. The next sentence needs to be a full-throated defense of populism. And we can't negotiate with ourselves. A lot of the rhetoric out of this administration is like, well, this isn't possible. This needs to be a messaging opportunity as much as anything else. Of course, we're not going to get a lot of this stuff done in this election cycle. We can't even get basic voting rights done. But we need to win the next election with with a story that resonates with people and that is ethical. And this seems like a really sure bet.
1: So this has to be an apples to apples comparison when you have this conversation with people. So you just got to say, all right, let's say somebody's, they make over 50 million a year. And, and so this is going to be 2% of what they make over 50 million. So let's say they made 55 million that year. Would it be fair to say that they should then pay a hundred thousand dollars in taxes so that you could pay, let's say, a couple grand less? Right? Like, would that be like if you're talking to somebody who literally makes like maybe a hundred grand a year, like, would it be fair that somebody making $55 million can pay an extra hundred grand so that you can pay like two or three K less? I think that would be eminently fair and isn't even remotely extreme.
0: Right. And there's another set of populist tools at our disposal. And certain certain politicians will seize this, which is some people just are motivated by the punitive nature of this, which is like some Americans resent the accumulation of that much wealth, especially where people do not work. Like one of the big things that's embedded within this data is that we have a tax code right now that incentivizes wealth and not work. Like for you and I, if we you know, or or a listener, if if you're a nurse like my mom and you go to the, you know, you put in a nine to five, actually helping people every single day, you're going to pay higher taxes than a person who just lets money accumulate in the stock market. And that is effed up for us as a country. And that's not the only problem, right? This reminds me of the Amazon issue that we dealt with in New York City. And I remember one of the chief lobbyists for Amazon is a friend of mine, and we had coffee uh, in the middle of that huge debate. And he was giving me shit saying, you know, you're like a lefty lunatic against jobs, yada, yada. And I was like, look, I, I, I don't mind Amazon coming to New York in many ways. I, you know, I, I want anybody coming here who's going to employ people and be an upstanding citizen. But I don't think they should pay lower tax rate than the dry cleaner on my corner. That's my that's my standard. That's it. I'm not looking to chase them away with pitchforks. I just think that we should, we should apply that standard because you know what? The dry cleaner is under way more duress right now than Amazon is. Amazon will be fine. That dry cleaner, in all likelihood, is going to shut down amid the avalanche of all the different pressures that they're facing on a daily basis. And we need to be looking out for them. And we as a party need to be the party that looks out for people like that.
1: So, Ravi, this week on our text chain with our producers, we got a picture from Grace that's just a picture of her bottle of Athletic Greens It's a new recruit. So let's bring Grace in here. Grace, how's it going? I'm only a few days in, but I will say it's really great. I haven't needed to have a second cup of coffee since I started using athletic greens. So that feels like a huge improvement. It tastes really good. I was pleasantly surprised by that. So I'm an early convert, but you guys convinced me that it needed to happen. And I think I'm on the right path. As Grace will tell you, Athletic Greens is your answer. It is the daily all-in-one superfood powder that is just essential to your nutrition. I mean, I've said on here before that I ditched my longtime multivitamin because of Athletic Greens. So look, make this a part of your regimen. You will will be very pleased that you did. Right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down. They're offering our audience a
0: free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. I've been using them while I'm here simply visit athleticgreens.com slash majority to make a daily commitment to your health. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash majority and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today.
1: This past week I just got busy, did not do a good job meditating. I always use headspace when I meditate, and I didn't meditate a single day. My wife, on the other hand, did it all seven days. And I can tell you that at the end of the week, we were in two completely different dispositions. And I could completely feel that I was just off because I hadn't used Headspace uh, for the entire week. And so I'm just telling you, like, get used to using it. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy to use app. It will make a huge difference in your life. Whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has a
0: three-minute SOS meditation for you. If you need some help falling asleep, Headspace has wind-out sessions that I swear by. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash m54. That's headspace.com slash m54 for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash M54 today. All right, we have one more news of the week item, and I wish it were a trivial one, but uh, Governor Abbott in Texas signed a law, which is modeled off other states like Florida that forbids vaccine passports, essentially saying if you are a business, you cannot turn people away because they're unvaccinated. I thought the GOP was the party of free enterprise. And if you put this together with some other things they've they've been advocating for, they seem to be trying to say that if you're a baker, you could turn away people because of their sexual orientation. But if you're a hotel chain, you can't turn people away who are unvaccinated. That seems to be a strange argument that they're making to the American public.
1: From what I can tell, this seems to be just anecdotally for me, having not heard anybody talk about this, this seems to be about getting people amped up. Like I haven't seen a lot of businesses wanting to demand vaccine passports. Like when you think about it, it's like if, if you as a business owner are vaccinated and your employees are vaccinated, I mean, honestly, until there's like, you know, variants that become a problem and hopefully that isn't something that occurs, there's not a lot of actual incentive to demand vaccine passports, but I think clearly a lot of businesses should be permitted to make sure that people are vaccinated before they come in for health reasons and that kind of thing. So this feels to me like a semi-invented issue, or at least one that is a little bit ahead of its time, I, I think. I think this is, like, this is Republican primary politics, I think.
0: And there are some business owners who are complaining. Like there was uh, Vijay Patel, who owns a bunch of hotels in Austin, was quoted in one of these articles as saying, look, like we're getting one set of guidance from the CDC. We're now getting another set of guidance from the states. And they conflict in some ways with each other. And he was like, it would be nice if there was some cover here to allow businesses to actually comply with the law.
1: I'm also a little bit confused because I thought that like every year when people send their kids back to school that there's, like, forms that you have to fill out that say, like, my kid has gotten the standard vaccinations. Now, I, I don't think that that's necessarily in order to enter the school, I, I but I but I think that they yeah, ask we used to those do. questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: we used, right. to, it used to be a huge part of our compliance, which, by the way, one, one of Reason 1000, why I don't envy educators right now, is that's now going to be the next political football. Like, something that right. we all did pretty much, unless you live in Marin County or some other pocket of – anti-vax insanity, like that wasn't an issue that was being litigated up until recently. And I can tell you right now, based on my read of social media, a lot of friends of mine, like all vaccinations now are on the table, not just COVID. And that is going to be a nightmare for educators.
1: I mean, look, to me, if somebody brings this up to me, I'm just going to be like, let me get this straight. You're with the Republican governors who believe that you shouldn't be allowed to require kids for instance to be vaccinated like high school kids to be vaccinated before they enter the school but if they want to play a sport we we should require them to have their genitals inspected to make sure that they are the genitals they were born with right like that's where we're at like that's not invasive but this is like how do you square those i don't think you can
0: Right. And, you know, somebody, a common rejoinder you'll get is, well, who's telling people they can't come into a business because they're gay? Well, NBC did some good reporting a couple of weeks ago about how, you know, essentially there's an ambiguity right now in the law about what you can or cannot do to turn people away based on what, whether they're gay. And this, this really great article followed a couple, two women who traveled an hour in Kentucky to get A favorable rate on accounting so that they could file their taxes. And when they got to the place that they had traveled an hour for, a sign on the door read, We do not do same sex marriage in your tax preparation. And so they were turned away. Uh, So this is happening every single day. And this is a party that defends that. But if that business was like, Hey, you're traveling all this way, I don't know what's going on COVID wise in your county, and I can't let you in the door, they're the same party who wants to take that tool away. It is insane, and we should be pointing out this hypocrisy.
1: And by the way, one of them is an immutable characteristic. Like, one of them is you you are a gay person who is married to to the person you want to be married to, and the other is you can go get a shot and come back and get your accounting done.
0: Right, 100%. Well, in this week in misinformation, we're going to talk about the GOP's attempted takedown of Dr. Anthony Fauci. Now, uh, I think the catalyst for the most recent aggression against Fauci was that there was a Freedom of Information Act request for certain emails that he sent, I think all of his emails over a period of time. Uh, And that has become fodder for just the froth of the GOP just coming after him. Jason Miller said of the GOP base, people see Anthony Fauci and they think of shuttered businesses, lost school. Everybody from Trump to Bannon was piling on. Um, Our Missouri Senator Josh Hawley called for Fauci to resign. Jason, what should we make of this? Uh, Is this smart politics? And uh, what are the kinds of arguments and attacks on Fauci that people can be expecting at July 4th um, from their cousins and uncles.
1: So this is a political bank shot intended to rewrite history, because history, recent history is very unkind to Trump and to the Republicans. And so they've got to go back and change it in people's mind, or they're going to have to grapple with it in future elections. So here's how it works. If China and Fauci are to blame, then Republicans are... of are absolved of mishandling the virus response in the first place because China was at fault and Fauci caused the economic collapse, right? So that's, that's what this is about. It's about all this stuff about, you know, China should pay reparations to the United States, Fauci caused, as you know, Miller said there, shuttered businesses. If if you can rewrite the history and make people believe that, and that's a doable thing, right? I mean, like, we're at the point where you can't find anybody who admits that they were for the Iraq war, right? Like, Like, you can rewrite this stuff if you say it over and over and over again Uh, and so that's what they're doing like if if it was all china's fault there's nothing that could be done well then you there's nobody to hold accountable for the fact that hundreds of thousands of americans died that didn't need to die and then on top of that if it's fauci who then made all the decisions wrongfully uh, about shutting down portions of the economy um then bam now all of the jobs progress that Biden's making, you, you've you taken away credit for all of that. So that's what they're trying to do. And yeah, you, we cannot allow that to stand because if they successfully rewrite history, then we can't successfully make our arguments for where to go from here because we won't have had the accomplishments to brag about to get the credibility to do it.
0: We don't always do this, but I recommend that people do a little bit of homework before they head in for the July 4th gatherings that you are likely to be having Uh, One is just read like a synopsis of his emails and I'll walk you through some of the key points on that. And then just reacquaint yourself of some of the insane things that Trump did and said over the course of COVID, just to remind people of that. But here's what these, here are the different lines of attack that I I found out there on the internet against Fauci and within Congress and the Senate. Number one is that he uh, was late inconsistent on mask guidance. I think the argument is being that he was lying. There's like a widely circulated Instagram post that I think had to be flagged that said he was lying to the American people, meaning that he knew masks were... He either knew that masks were effective and lied and said they weren't early on, or knew they weren't effective and then was lying to the American public afterwards and saying, wear the mask, which is just very strange what his motive would be in either scenario. But like the, the truth here is that there was an email... Uh, from February 5th, which is way before we as a public health community in the United States understood the true nature of the virus and how masks should help, where he was saying, here's this very limited circumstance in which I recommend masks. And otherwise, let's not make that part of our guidance. He, along with the entire American public health community, changed their tune on that from April 5th forward and have been consistent on that from April 5th forward. So unless you're a perfectionist saying that like the only people left in American public health should be people who have been 100% right since the beginning, which I think would mean zero people would be left within our public health establishment. Unless that's your standard, then that's not a good attack. Um, Second is that he had a friendly exchange with a Chinese public health official um, throughout the early stages of this virus. And I am very distrustful of the government of China, but also they have a billion people. And I believe that we have to both hold their feet to the fire on providing data on the origins of this virus. At the same time, we need to coordinate resources because it's a globe. If like, as we know, if the virus spreads in China, it will spread here. If it spreads in the United States, it will spread there. So there needs to be some baseline level of cooperation. There's more, there was an exchange with a public health official in the United States about whether this originated, this virus originated from a lab in Wuhan. And Fauci was very measured. He was like, look, all available evidence says it wasn't, but you never know, no smoking gun there. Basically, you'll see a lot of stuff like that, where Fauci is very measured. He talks like a very careful scientist, but who has a really, you know, a strong lock on how to spend his day and how to give people clear guidance as it's coming to him. And he stays up past midnight just helping people solve problems. So I think it just makes him look good.
1: I guess I would ask people like, what is it you think Fauci's motive was? If you think he was doing all this terrible stuff, like,
0: why? Here's what they're trying to say. He's a publicity hog. This is what Trump is saying. Like Trump in his most recent <laughs> remarks is saying, oh, here's a guy who loves the spotlight. So they're not like connecting the dots to say, "Hey, this is a guy who loves the spotlight, therefore he's misinforming you." I think they're 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 kind of just putting a malaise over it saying, "Oh, this guy cares more about that than anything else and maybe he's incompetent, maybe he's sinister, he was throwing they're just throwing a whole bunch of different arguments at it, but I think their overall frame is this is a guy who just loves the spotlight. He's doing it for celebrity and he's not a serious credible person and he He's within the mold of a of Democratic celebrity type people who care more about that world than about the everyday Americans that are affected by their policy. I think that's their frame.
1: If somebody said that to me, I would say, all right, let's take this out to its most logical conclusion. Let's say everything you said about Dr. Fauci is true. One, that's a pretty serious allegation that you're saying that this man who's been working in government for his whole life has been doing it to build up for this opportunity to let hundreds of thousands of of Americans die unnecessarily so that he can throw out the first pitch in a Nationals game. Like, that's wow. Like, you definitely think this guy should be in prison for the rest of his life. Like, is that where we're at? I'd, I'd make him commit to that. And the second thing I'd say is, let's say you're right. Was he in charge or was Trump in charge? Because it seems to me that there were a lot of things that he was pushing for that Trump said no to. So if Trump knew this whole time that Fauci was this bogus, you know, publicity seeking guy who didn't really have a handle on the science, then why wasn't Trump, in fact, pumping uh, light and hydrochloric key, queen and whatever and bleach into people if he, in fact, knew what to do? Like, because again, they're trying to rewrite history. So you just got to go back and go, explain to me how this absolves Trump at all yeah i I think the one thing i would add to is to, to color in the fauci thing for people is to say okay what i get from these emails is that this guy like the rest of us didn't have all the answers Right. He had more than us because he's a scientist and he had been studying this for a long time, but he was searching for the answers, too. So if you want Fauci to resign at this point, then what you want is you want to get rid of the one person who has been there trying the hardest to find the answers this entire time and has more experience handling a pandemic than anybody else in the entire country. Like maybe he wasn't right about I mean, he wasn't right. He would tell you wasn't right about everything all the time. But he now knows more than anybody else about a thing that we're continuing to learn about. I would think that it makes a lot of sense then that Biden looks at that and goes, that's the guy I want to advise me on science.
0: I fall in a category that I think a lot of our listeners could relate to, which is, you know, I'm not super rich. I don't have a lot of stuff to leave to the next generation, but I have some stuff and I have assets. And at this point in my life, I need to start planning for the inevitable and I've been deterred because I didn't want to go to like a super expensive lawyer and go through a whole process. But then I learned about one of our sponsors, Trust and Will, and they make setting up estate plans as simple, convenient, and secure as possible. I was able to do it in just the spare time I had waiting for a friend of mine to come meet me. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children, determine who gets your stuff, and plan for future medical care. You know, we all know hiring these traditional estate attorneys can cost thousands, and this Trust and Will makes it super easy to go through every possible question you might have about the whole process.
1: Trust and Will is the most trusted name in online estate planning, the category leader on Trustpilot, and they've helped hundreds of thousands of people protect their families, assets, and legacy. Gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash m54 and get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Don't wait. Go right now. This is really important. Get 10% off plus free shipping at trustandwill.com slash m54, trustandwill.com slash m54.
0: Well, Jason, last week we talked about the question of patriotism and how the the two major political parties in our country have been framing it, and we got a really good voicemail on that subject this week.
1: Hi, Jason and Ravi. Uh, I was listening to your podcast with Isaac, and you guys hit on a topic that, um, for me, living here in the Midwest, I have often wondered about, and that was, how do we get more Democratic folks running for office to try to grab hold of the political um, machine that is um, of patriotism. Um, I've often, often wondered, especially as a military family ourselves, um, how can we break the idea that only Republicans are um, patriotic without sounding nationalistic? So thanks. Bye. Bye. So I really appreciate uh, this question. To me, this is a question of messaging, right? And and messaging just means placing everything into its proper frame. So for instance, uh, people who listen to the show have heard me talk a lot about how everything that we stand for can, in my opinion, be placed properly into the frame of how it makes it more likely for people that their family will be happy, healthy, safe, and nearby. I think like every issue we talk about is about making it so that your family will be happy healthy safe and nearby it is not at all a big lift to connect that to patriotism it is simply a matter of truthfully saying and i care about that because i love america like i mean it because that that has the benefit of being true like if you want other americans to be able to have their family happy healthy safe and nearby it's because you love america but furthermore and this is I think what separates us from the Republicans and the and it's the axe we ought to grind when it comes to this patriotism division in the country. And it is it's not just that we love America like they do. We all love America. It's that we love all Americans for for the most part. And and it takes me back to one of my favorite Aaron Sorkin lines, which is from The American President. And there's a scene when Annette Benning asked Michael Douglas something along the lines of, you know, how can you have patience for people who claim to love America, but clearly can't stand Americans? And I think it's important for us as progressives to make that distinction when we get into this sort of uh, a debate, which is that we all love this country, But true patriotism means also loving the people in this country as well and wanting them to succeed. You can't claim to love America while openly rooting against certain groups of Americans.
0: All right. In previously called quarantine corner now, um, aren't we relatable corner? Jason, what's life been like outside of politics for you this week?
1: I actually was going to talk about something that I'm probably like two weeks late to, which Diana and I watched um, the new Bo Burnham special on Netflix. And uh, I know like a lot of people probably have seen it, but it was fascinating. Like for anybody who hasn't, it's basically over the course of a year uh, of the pandemic, Bo Burnham made a special in a room in his house and he did it. It's written, directed everything by him. And the thing that got me about it was I assumed coming out of the pandemic that I would have no interest in consuming any content about the pandemic. (laughs) Uh, And that has mostly been... Correct. That is held up. This is the one piece of content that I really recommend everybody see, because what it is, is it's a time capsule. It's him going through the experience over time. And I'll be honest, like it's a comedy special. Parts of it are very funny. He, It's a lot of funny songs. Welcome to the internet. Have a look around. Anything. That... It's kind of subversive in the sense that like it, it very much challenges culture. Like... There's one song in this special that is just literally about a white woman's Instagram and like a typical white woman's Instagram. And then there's another where he makes one himself by talking about what a a wonderful white guy he is. I mean, it's um, but parts of it are not funny, but those parts are fascinating because what he does is so incredibly creative. The way he's able to create a full on viewing experience by himself, in his house, as he progressively has his mental health decline, and his beard gets longer, and his hair gets longer, you know, it is it is worth watching. It is uh, kind of just an incredible... Piece of of art that he put together. Welcome to the internet. What would you prefer? Would you like to fight for civil rights or tweet a racial slur?
0: Mine is uh, I have two. They're uh, totally unrelated. One is like sincere, and one is kind of dumb. Uh, one is there's this book called Nickel Boys, which won the Pulitzer Prize a couple years ago, and it's a short read uh, by Colson Whitehead, who also did the Underground Railroad, and it is freaking fantastic. It's both great writing, an incredible story, and just as heartbreaking and resonant as anything I've ever read. Um, it's just awesome. Uh, and so I highly recommend it. And I love short reads. This will take you an afternoon if you're really invested in it, or a week if you just chip away at it, you know, 10, 20 pages at a time. It's so good. The trivial thing is I'm a, a native New Yorker who grew up like all native New Yorkers pretty much as a Knicks fan. Uh, but the the Nets moved to brooklyn um and it's a really shady circumstance i once wrote about it involving oligarchs and shady land deals and kicking people out of their land and all that and i love nothing more than trolling brooklyn nets fans because they tend to to overlap with people recently moving to town which is a lot of my friends so this is like you know sports making fun of right and i i I just come up with new names every day for the nets like the montauk nets or the Park Slope Nets or whatever. Um, and I just keep like, I had friends at the game the other night and the Nets are just doing so well. And I just love driving my friends crazy uh, with poking at them about how their fandom is like a core part of their identity as kind of fancy New Yorkers new to the city. Uh, and I just get so much pleasure out of it. And it's so dumb, but it's it really drives me right now.
1: Well, it should be pointed out that it is sort of a perfect circle in that the Nets are also a super team put together, uh, you know, to, to do exactly what they're doing right now and just like pulling people in from all these other places. And then they're like, well, now we're a super team and therefore displacing others, which not being a New Yorker, I, I can see the consistency between that and what's actually happened in Brooklyn.
0: Oh, 100%. And the players, I just love the cast. Like you have a guy in James Harden who gave up on his team. You have a guy in Kyrie Irving who from one day to the next decides to play or not throughout the season based on his mood. And then you have Kevin Durant who creates fake Twitter accounts to attack his fans. Uh, And so I just think it's just a wonderfully whiny assemblage of very talented basketball players that really, truly represent its fan base. And so... Um, this is exhibit number seven as to why I'll never run for mayor of New York, but just just a wonderful, wonderful match of, of team and fan base, and I just can't get enough of trolling them. So I hope they keep doing well because I'll, I'll, I'll keep poking at them.
1: For Grab an this week, you know, we talked earlier about the importance of continuing to apply that pressure on voting rights. Uh, and one way you can do that, and I've said this before, but you can go to letamericavote.org. And when you get there, you click on the big banner that says support the For the People Act, and it'll take you to a bunch of options, including making a video, uh, calling your senator, writing a letter to the editor, joining a phone bank. Um, so I would encourage everybody to do that. That is the fastest way to continue to apply that pressure. It's go to Let America Vote dot org and click on the big banner that says support the for the people act and then do one of those things that it lists just click on that and do it all right as we head out i want to plug the live event one more time we're really excited about this it's it's going to be again in kansas city in loose park if you're in kansas city awesome you should come to this you should get your free ticket now if you're not in kansas city you should come to this you should get your free ticket now and you should come to kansas city and enjoy kansas city and enjoy the first ever live majority 54 again and it's going to be a free live taping on June 24th at Loose Park in Kansas City. The quote unquote doors open. It's an outdoor event at 7 p.m. And then recording starts at 730. We're going to interact with the audience. Ravi's coming to Kansas City. It's going to be really fun. Go and get your ticket for free. Again, WondermediaNetwork.com slash Majority54Event. It's WondermediaNetwork.com slash Majority54Event. If you want to leave us a voicemail, which again, we used a voicemail this week, we would like to use another voicemail next week, and we're going to need some good ones. So call us, leave a voicemail, 508-687-2589 five zero eight six eight seven two five eight nine i'm at jason kander on instagram and twitter ravi is at ravi m gupta on twitter and instagram he is in costa rica right now uh because he's always somewhere and you can see some great shots of these places he's staying there are some like really incredible Ravi shots of him surfing by the way so for all of you out there who like listen to our voices and are like I wonder what they look like now is the time go to Ravi's Instagram <laughs> and uh, and and you will see what Ravi looks like and our show is at Majority54 on Twitter remember we all have a platform make sure to use yours today
0: Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. And special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Lucas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard Professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.